Now, let me just start by saying you are very complex. That's all right. In fact, it's probably true, Jordan, you're very complex. Very multifaceted. You're not easy to understand. Just say to yourself, I'm not easy to understand. I'm not easy to understand. Ask Sue, she'll tell you. You're not easy to explain. You're not easy to live with. There are so many factors and facets that actually make us who we are today, regardless of your age, life experience. In fact, if you're sitting, husbands, if you're sitting next to your wife, just look at her and say, you are wonderfully complex. Now, ladies, you can reply by saying, you're amazingly simple. Because, <laughs> you know, men sort of just have a switch, right? Is that right? Us guys, generally, generally speaking, we just have a switch. It's either on or off. Women have dials, gauges, you know, meters, all sort of things going on at once. But us guys are a little bit different. And, of course, you can see um, on the, the scripture I've got there, it actually says from the message translation in Psalm 139, how God is actually, well, we're wonderfully made. We're actually quite, you know, not just that he's formed our physical features or our body, but in actual fact, our personality, our characteristic, everything that contributes to who we are is part of the way God's put us together. So if you want to become a, well, what I think, if you, if you really want to follow Jesus, like actually take his teachings for life, make them a part of your everyday ordinary living, so not just what we do on a Sunday or in your connect group, not when you just do those sort of sacred spiritual things, which are important, but... The rest of the week, you know, paying the bills, going to work, looking after the kids, living at home, you know, all the, all the stuff that we have to get around, we have to do, deal with every facet of our life. And so here's another verse. You'll see this on the screen. This, I think this is a life principle from Ecclesiastes, which is not the most happy book in the, on the world to read. But it says, a person who fears God, listen to this, deals responsibly with all the realities not just a piece of it. And it's talking about dealing with the negatives and positives of life, not just focusing on righteousness and not just focusing on um, the fact that, that we try and follow God and the rest of the world doesn't. That's sort of the context. But the way it's, it's reworded here in a sort of common speech for our language today, not sort of a, an, old, an old English version, we have to deal with all our realities of life. And so today I'm going to focus on two activities that build God's favour in your marriage. Excited? Oh, gee. <laughs> Who hasn't had their coffee this morning? Maybe we should serve coffees while we're doing this. I'm going to tell a little bit. Oh, you say yes? Who wants to make the order and go and get them all? That's probably the challenge. Dan will. Probably the thing is that we don't really think about building what we're building into our marriage. And look, I understand that everyone here comes from different life experiences. Certainly, I came from a broken home as a child, so... You know, I didn't grow up in a stable environment. And, you know, we all, all of us, who, you know, if we took a poll of everybody in this room, your personal individual life experience will be different to mine. Some of it will be better, some will be more positive, some it could be worse. But we have to deal with all the realities because this is one thing, I'm sort of going to tell a little bit of our story, my story of, you know, meeting Sue and some of the things that I've had to learn. These two things I want to tell you are things that I personally had to learn, not not what she had to learn or what, not what you know, she's told me I had to do. It's actually just me trying to say, okay, God, I realise I'm a dysfunctional, broken human being because of a whole lot of factors and I bring all that into any relationship that I have. 
But if you bring it particularly into a marriage relationship, which is different from all other relationships, then you can hit some snags. So it's very, this is a very personal sort of unpacking for me on some of the, just two things. There are many things that I could have talked about, but I've put it down to two things. So I understand some people, you're sitting here, you're not married. Maybe you're separated, maybe you're divorced. You know what that pain's like. You know the depth of trauma that that causes. And so I, I'm, a, I'm just going to assume that if you want to ever remarry or when you look at the marriages around here or in our church of the people who are currently married, that you want to champion and support it. I know some people here, have, you've lost your partner and how, again, how difficult that is, but how passionate you probably are about people having good relationships. And for those of you who are currently married, whether you think it's a good or an average relationship, I want to help give you two things that you can actually build into to have God's favour on your relationship. You may recall at the start of the year, our theme has been God's favour. Do you remember that? Building God's favour or having God's favour. And we've talked throughout the year at different times about having, how do you access God's favour when you're in times of crisis? Um, how do you get God's favour in terms of your work and what you do? You know, we've talked a lot about that. We did some praying and fasting around it at the start of the year as well. And as we come to the conclusion of the year, I wanted to talk a little bit about my experience out of being a married person who came from a, a home that had no functional happy relationships and my parents didn't stay together now when sue and i first got married we came from very different family backgrounds very backgrounds right so it's really different so her so sue's i'm not going to get her up here she doesn't like public speaking but sue's family background her family of origin were actually really warm and fuzzy you know everything was always nice and good and kind and you know you could never mention anything that was going wrong because that's not nice Whereas my family of orange was totally different. You could mention everything that was going wrong. And in fact, you could punch each other up. You could drop the F-bomb. You could do anything you want. You just got it all out in the open. So, of course, when we got married, whoa. You know, it's quite different. How do you, you, know, how do you make a relationship work? Now, for those of you who don't know us, we have been married 32 years. Uh, we have three, uh, I think they're pretty stable children, uh, adult children. Although my boy is probably not that stable. Some of you know him. But... We, I had, now just again talking about me, I had to make some dramatic changes. One of the things that attracted me to Jesus in the first place was not trying to escape, you know, death and getting out of hell. I, that, that wasn't in my head when I made a, a real commitment to actually follow Jesus and become what we call a disciple. So, in other words, discipline ourselves after his way of living and his instruction for living. What, what attracted me to Jesus was the very fact that I needed help today. I, I didn't have a very happy, stable uh, you know, childhood. I couldn't read or write at school. You know, I was in through trauma after trauma. And so when I stepped into this relationship, this marriage relationship, I realised pretty quickly I had to actually make some changes to myself. And so, again, I'm going to sort of unpack some of this stuff. Now, I've used the word build. So you'll see in the title there, building God's favour. Um, I know you laughed at that photo there, but you're probably really honestly thinking it's incredible how handsome Greg still is. <laughs> is that right? Well, some, some people agree. Um, I tell you what is incredible. That photo was taken in 1984. That's last century for anyone who can't count. And uh, that was actually taken in one of those photo booths. You know, you stick coins in there. 
Now, I know they, they've got trendy versions of them these days, but you know the old ones at the stations or the cinema? I think I don't, can't remember where we took that photo, when it was Flinders Street, or, but we jumped in a booth, put the coins in there, and uh, you, know, you get three photos that come out in a strip. But what's incredible when I look at it is Sue looks exactly the same. Isn't that right? Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. She's passed that on to our daughters. Our daughters get asked for ID when they go out. And they're, they're actually about to turn 30. And um, they, they carry the same incredible, um, you know, youthful genes. But it's amazing. Anyway, let me get back to it. I've used the word build on purpose because this is one thing that I've learned. And you, I encourage you to take all your own notes, put it in your own words. You'll remember some stuff. You know, have a conversation during the week with your friends or with your spouse about what comes out of it for you. Build. God is a builder. God actually doesn't rescue us from stuff. He redeems things. It's very different. Now, we would rather that God rescue us from everything, wouldn't we? That, that's our preference. We want instant deliverance, no pain, no struggle, no trauma, don't want to deal with our own junk and baggage and dysfunction. We would rather that God just somehow miraculously make us good and consistently you know, behave well, think well, treat each other the right way. That's what we would prefer, but God actually doesn't work that way most of the time. He builds. He's building his kingdom and he's brought you and me into that kingdom that he's building. Now, here's the thing that I've realised. God actually expects us to build as well. It's not always instant. So here's, here's part of the course, the dilemma, for those of you who are not married, uh, planning to get married. The dilemma is a ceremony called a wedding doesn't build the sort of marriage automatically and instantly that we would hope it does. It just makes it legal, just makes it official. It doesn't actually build anything. And of course, you know, in a culture that we live in today, I've been reading some of the stuff about how much people spend on weddings. I don't know if you've ever read that recently, but some people can spend thirty, fifty thousand on a wedding. And I think that, that doesn't build a marriage. We actually have to take, we have to construct. So think of, you know, of someone who actually does building. Uh, we've gone through a, a renovation in our house. Um, I can't swing a hammer except to smash things when I'm really mad. But other than that, I can't actually construct. You know, I'm not, I'm not a typical bloke. You know, I don't, I don't have a men's shed. I don't get the men's shed thing. I'm sorry, fellas, but it's just, I'm, put me in a kitchen, I'm good. Put me in a shed, I feel like I'm trapped. So it's just the way I'm wired, right? So when you think of someone who's building, or I think of when we employed some people to come and reconstruct some part of our house, there's a plan. There was actually an architectural drawing for, you know, we had to sort of raise our roof and fix our roof and a few other things. So they didn't just turn up and make it up as they went along. They actually had to follow a plan. And I think that's what God, you know, when God gives us uh, the personal revelation or when we're reading his Bible, his written word to us, that's his plan for how we live. So the real question is, every time I interact with my bride, every time, so whether I'm speaking, whether I'm just sitting and not saying anything, whether we're doing something together, I am building or constructing something. The question is, what sort of plan am I following? And I, what the, you know, the, the thing that I found is automatically when I was first married, I was building stuff from my own dysfunctional background. It was like automatic, isn't it? How many people here have said to themselves, when you're a kid and your mum and dad say something to you in anger, 
you think to yourself, I'll never do that to my children. I'll never say that to my spouse. It comes out, doesn't it? It's automatic. So there's this sort of reconstruction or building. You have to cooperate with what God's given you. So again, you know, when they did some renovations on, on our property, um, we had timber delivered. We had um, gyprock delivered. We had to go and buy paint. You know, the builders went and bought the nails, the glue, the guns, all that. And I think God has given us all this stuff. But what we, I think, don't realise is if we don't pick it up and actually build, trim, cut the wood into shape, nail it together, if we're not building something that's actually kingdom-orientated or positive or what God expects of us, we're just going to build this dysfunctional thing and repeat the mistakes of our past. And so that's what I realised very early on in our relationship. I had to take some responsibility. And, you know, I, I don't know if it was like this for you, but I've been in the, obviously in the church since the 80s. And in the Christian world, I used to hear people just say um, these sort of spiritual phrases, just put God at the centre of your marriage. I just want to put them at the centre of something else. Because, it, it, to, now again, it's probably my wiring, so don't... Don't take offence. It's like, it's not practical. What does that actually mean? I'm trying to do that. I am trying to do that. But I came to realise if I'm not building and constructing based on the advice and the things that God's already told all of us, then it doesn't happen just instantaneously. There's no mantra prayer that we pray that actually makes us into the sort of spouse that we should be. It's building. It takes effort, intentionality, takes discipline it takes us to actually cooperate with what god calls us or who god calls us to become so you know we're certainly saved and we're in the kingdom of god and you know we 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 are cooperating in a whole range of things but it's so easy for us to think about other people and how they need to shift and not about ourselves so that's you know for me it's about actually taking it on board now, if, if, you, if you don't know Sue and I, we're very passionate about relationships and marriages. Um, we run marriage courses. We do a whole range of different things. But I realised as a new married person back in 1986, got married on the 19th of July, 1986. It's on the back of my wedding ring, so I'll never forget it. That's a, good, that's a tip there, boys. Just get it engraved on the inside of your ring. I realised that very quickly... If I didn't take responsibility and become passionate about our relationship, there's nobody else on the planet that can do it. Your relatives can't do it. Your parents can't do it. Your in-laws might try and do it. But no one else can actually take responsibility to build and construct the very thing that you have, you know, that you desire for in terms of a good lifelong relationship that's going to last. It's, and it, it's not automatic or instantaneous, but you have to become intentional and passionate about the whole thing and so you know we've taken that on board so here's my first point you can write this down here comes the next slide you have to build your own character so he, he, what 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 sort of grabbed my attention is uh when when uh when sue and i first met we were going to a church in richmond in fact we met at a camp that that church was running and then that church planted another church in Burwood. And, and um, at that stage, we were sort of going out. We went and helped support that new church plant in Burwood. At the dedication, the official sort of opening of that church, which was actually in the school hall, 
you know, we used to do the pack up and the set up. And anyone done all that sort of stuff? Get there at like six in the morning and leave at three in the afternoon. We had a purpose-built trailer to fit everything in. It was massive. But anyway, so this official dedication comes along and our minister at the time had invited this um, um, sort of prophetic um, ministry to come along and actually be part of the official dedication of this new church. And so part of the funny thing was in our story is Sue and I had been sort of on again, off again, on again, off again, you know, for a whole lot of reasons. That's, a, that's another day. We'll tell you that story another day. But here we are, the minister of our church calls everybody out to the front. There's only like 40 people in the church at this stage. So we're all standing, all the young people are standing at the front. He sort of got us out in sections. I just happened, it wasn't planned, I'm standing next to Sue in this prayer line. And this prophet guy is coming over and he's praying for every single person. He had a word over every single person. So he gets to Sue and he says this, he's praying, he's praying in tongues and he's got his eyes closed and he says, the Lord has a young man for you and he's getting him licked into shape. All the young people you know, next to me, they start giggling because they know we've been going out and all that sort of stuff. And I didn't want to get licked into shape. I don't know about you, but has God ever told you I'm getting you licked into shape? So I'm standing there, she's standing there. And so, you know, I'm trying to be very spiritual. Just stand there. Don't open my eyes, don't look. You know, she's standing on my, on my right-hand side. And he said a few other things to her and all that stuff. Then, he, then she goes to sit down. He finishes praying over her and he puts his hand on my shoulder and he, go, he starts to pray and then he goes, he looks up and he goes, hang on a minute, is that young man here by any chance? Why he's got my hand, his hand on my shoulder? So, of course, the whole church bark burst out laughing. Um, but the, the minister at the time, he didn't think it was a good idea for us two to get together. So he made that other fellow come up and actually say to us, oh, I wasn't saying to get married. I wasn't saying that. But it's interesting because when I look back on that, we've got that on audio cassette. I was, to, I was trying to get it off there to play it for you today, but I, I couldn't figure out how to do it. I'm not that technologically savvy. But what we took out of that is, again, just because God speaks about your future, whether it's direct like that or more indirect or some part of the puzzles revealed, as often God does, Again, it doesn't mean that everything went well and rosy from that point on. Definitely not. So as a new Christian, what began, because I, I sort of felt I, I needed help, that's why I wanted to follow Jesus, my life was not good. And so one thing I started to do was actually focus on reading every Bible passage I could find on being a husband and being a father. Again, because I didn't know my father, I came from a broken home, all that. I'm not going to go into that, we don't have time, but... That was part of, my, part of the result of my childhood and me actually coming to faith in Jesus and feeling that Jesus wanted to actually help me and he loved me. Then I wanted to respond. Okay, so okay, I, I didn't know how to read the Bible properly, but I just asked people. I found how to use a concordance. I couldn't read very well at that stage, by the way, but I just pushed myself. And so I remember um, I was working in a, in a factory, a bakery that used to make all the products for the universities in Melbourne and uh, I'd, I'd start at 4.30 in the morning, it's a good time to start work and finish about 2.33 in the afternoon but I had to get the tram through the city to get to and from work. So on the way home every day I'd actually stop, when I got off my, the first tram in the city I'd walk into St Paul's Cathedral, you know right on the corner of uh, Flinders Street and I have my little Bible there and I'd actually just sit 
sometimes five minutes, sometimes for an hour. I didn't have any particular method, but I'd just sit and pray because uh, by the time I got home, I'd probably fall asleep. So I thought I'd do it then. But this was a regular thing I did month after month. I would nearly every day go to St Paul's, open the Bible and, and reread. Not just read them once, but reread. So whether it was a narrative, so a story about a husband-father, good or bad in Scripture, or whether it was what I call a, a didactic, a point-form sort of teaching about what you should or shouldn't do as a husband or father. I came across some incredible points that I think God has put in his word for all of us. And so you can see the first one on the screen there. This is what it says. It says, don't lose a minute in building up on what you've been given complementing your basic faith with good character. And he, he lists them. Peter lists them. He says spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience. That's pretty funny, isn't it? Passionate patience. Reverent wonder, warm friendliness, generous love. Each dimension fitting in and developing the others. Just stop and pause there. So think about your relationships at the moment. So whether you're married or not, think about all your relationships with your family, your close friends or your spouse. Are you building on what God's already given you by adding to the basics of your faith a good character? Because now, I don't know about you, but in the youth group that Sue and I used to go to in the 80s, we went through this crazy phase where you're encouraged to actually write down a list of the perfect spouse that you're after. You ever, anyone ever done that? Yeah, it was, it was very common. And so, you know, all the youth in this, in this youth group, you know, some, some people, of course, they all focus on perfection, right? Which, of course, is not there, right? Anyone say amen to that? Amen. Praise God. There's some real Christians here. It's great. None of us are perfect, but some people put on there, you know, I want a six-foot man, you know, I want him to have brown hair, brown eyes. He's got to be, you know, he's got to have so much money in the bank. He's got to be this tall. He's got to have this sort of character. He's got to come from this family. Mate, I'm glad Sue didn't write a list because I wasn't any one of those sort of things. But this was going on in our, in our Christian youth group. In fact, some, some people were so focused on it, you know, you go and visit them in their homes, they'd stuck the list on their wardrobe in their bedroom or they'd stuck the list on the mirror in their bedroom and they were praying that God would provide this person for them. Now, again, just this is the way I'm wired. So this is not, I'm not picking on anyone, but I realised at some point, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but at some point I realised it's the wrong list. I couldn't live up to that. There are things on those sort of lists. Now, we, I think we all have a list like that. It's probably in our heads, might be in our hearts. You might go and write one down now, I don't know. But we, we do have these lists that exist of who we think is going to be the perfect person for me. But it's the wrong list. And here's why. Are you the sort of person that someone should sacrifice the rest of their life to spend with you? The focus shouldn't be on them. And this is true whether you're currently married or not currently married. Your list... I mean, look at this, this, this scripture out of Peter. Your list is about you. I've got to become the sort of person that Sue would be willing to spend the rest of my life or her life with. I had the wrong, you know, we had the wrong list. The wrong lists were floating around. And in fact, no one can live up to that sort of expectation 
all those that sort of you know perfect sort of thing that we sort of pull out i realized i i think what happens in terms of our emotional side and our thoughts when we think about these things it's so hard to take a real sort of honest look at who you are it's always easy to point the finger at your spouse your girlfriend your boyfriend or whatever it's always easier to critique someone else they're the problem if they could only just be like this well that's your list every time you think or say that that's your list if they could only do this for me that's your list but what god does he turns it around and says hang on a minute greg what about you i'm asking you and so i came to this sort of realization that the only person i could change the only person i could work on is me i couldn't change her she needed a lot of changing but i could change her that's a joke. If you know us, you know we're, we're quite close. I better be careful. Some people take me too seriously. So I'm going to ask you, so I'm going to give you some homework this week. Just write the right list this week. What sort of person should you be for someone else to dedicate their whole life to be with? Because that's actually the question. And that's the question God's interested in. You know, take the focus off the other person and think about, what are you really like? Who should you really become? What are the things that God's already talked to you about, convicted you about, or encouraged you to work on? That's actually where our focus should be, your own character. Build your own character. And it, you have to build it. That's, I like the way it comes out in the message translation there because Peter actually explains it is a building. It's not instantaneous. We're, we're not living in a sort of you know, fairyland of magical prayers. This is adding to what God has already deposited in us to make us or to transform us into his image. The more we actually follow his instructions for life, the more we become like him. And so it's, 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 we have to build our own character, not the other person. So then here's the second thing. You have to actually build a covenant relationship, a culture of covenant. And I'll tell you just very quickly how I got to this point, this sort of this point in my head, because we, we don't really talk about covenant culture in Australia. We don't certainly live in a culture that practices covenants in a public setting. It's not part of our broader culture. And so, again, you know, going back to me reading all these passages and studying all these verses, one day at St Paul's Cathedral, I came across Proverbs 18.22. And it just jumped out of the page. Like it was one of those things that where the Holy Spirit really just made that come alive. It meant something to me personally in that moment. And it says this, find a good spouse and you find a good life. Even more, you get God's favour. Well, that caught my attention. I needed a bit of favour in my life at that point. I needed it. Now, in, the, in more the traditional translation, the one I read at the time actually says, if a man finds a wife he finds a good thing and obtains the favour of God. So that got me thinking. Now, I don't know about you, but when I sometimes I read some verses, I think, how does that work? What's the equivalent between finding a wife or finding a good partner and how does that automatically or in what way does that give us God's favour? I don't know if you think like that. I do. When I read certain verses, I think, what's, what's the connection between the two, between getting married and having God's favour? Because it certainly not, doesn't tell you in, the, in that verse what the connection is. 
So I did a whole lot of exploring around, again, marriage scriptures. And this is what I discovered, you know, very quickly. Marriage is different from every other relationship you'll ever have with another human being. And in God's language, it's a covenant. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but you only actually ever have two covenants in your whole lifetime. So when we did um, the Lord's table before, that's, we have a covenant with God through Jesus. That's one covenant. We're in a covenant relationship with God. The only other covenant you'll ever have is with the person that you marry. That's a covenant relationship. Now, again, our culture doesn't talk like that, think like that, act like that. And I think sometimes in our Christianity, we don't realise, even the day I got married, I didn't realise, I didn't fully comprehend or understand, I'm stepping into a covenant. So... What's different about a covenant relationship? So it's not like parent-child relationships. It's not like um, working for your boss and the relationship you have for your boss at work or if you're their boss. It's, it's different. It's not like you know, going to school, parent-teacher, uh, um, student relationships. You know, I mean, all the relationships we have in life, our cousins, our aunts, our uncles, people in the church here. In a marriage, it's different because it's covenant and what makes a covenant relationship is that someone has put themselves to death to bring life. That's actually what makes a covenant. So when you think about our relationship with God, Jesus, we celebrated it before, went to the cross, put himself to death, so you and I could actually be in God's family and even be here this morning worshipping and learning about how to follow God's principles for living. I mean, it's because of Jesus' sacrifice that we have life through him to God. We have a relationship with God. Now, when you get married, the onus is actually on you to put yourself to death for the other person. That's why God calls it a covenant. That's his plan. You know, get back to the building concept. That's his plan for us to actually have a covenant marriage. You know, I've done some research on covenant ceremonies in ancient Bible times, and different, there's different ways of making covenants um, in, a, in a literal sense, so it's not just one way. But one of, the one, one of the stories I read in how sometimes they would make a covenant in ancient Israel cultures, now remember sometimes they'll take it into exile, so it's not always actually in Israel as we call it today, but actually within their culture. It was always the cost of shedding the blood or actually putting something to death. And so one of these stories I was reading is sometimes they would get a lamb or some animal like a goat, they would cut that animal in half. Now, not, not this way, not across the chest, but actually cut it long ways in half. They'd put the two halves of the animal onto the ground and the people who were making a covenant together would actually walk through the middle of those two halves, signifying their death for the person that they're being joined to. So that's what makes a covenant. Now, in our culture, we think contract. I'll do this for you if you do that for me. There's an escape clause. If you, don't, if you don't provide all the things that we agreed on, I can get out of this agreement. That's really the world that we live in. We don't live in a covenant culture, but it doesn't change the fact that God has created marriage to be a covenant relationship. And so, you know, for all the silly mistakes I made, both intentional and unintentional, in our early years of marriage, 
the things that I would say, if I lose my temper or if I got upset or things weren't going well or I didn't know what to do or I was frustrated, all the stupid things, you know, I could list a whole, you know, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I'm as normal as you are. But what I did learn is if I don't start speaking and acting in ways that bring life into the relationship, I'm actually doing the opposite and I'm bringing death into the relationship. I'm, again, it's my character. It's my sacrifice that counts. That's the only thing I can give. I can't make Sue do it. I have to do it. I have to take responsibility to build a culture that nurtures life through sacrifice. It's really, that's, it's, it actually is, in terms of theological terminology, it's really that simple. If you want to ever get married, if you're single at the moment and you want to get married at any point in the future, that's what you're stepping into. You're actually stepping into a style of relationship that says you will sacrifice that nurture and life will come out of the person that you join yourself with. That's what Jesus did for us. And that, through his own nature, he, re- he created marriage and that's what reflects, or supposed to reflect in marriage, a covenant culture death that brings life i mean plenty of verses unpack it if we had time you know read ephesians chapter 5 direct command to males to lay down their life for their wife as jesus gave his life for the church you can't get any clearer than that's it's clear as anything there's no mystery to that now it's one thing to read it it's another thing to do it right can i hear an amen you all look a bit shell-shocked so everything in your Everything in your life has culture. This church has a culture, our world has a culture, your workforce, your neighbourhood, the city, your home has a culture. And so I just want to encourage you, you you will know enough. I don't have to stand here and list, you know, 25 things to build a covenant culture in your marriage. You will know enough as a Christian of the sort of things, I mean, just go back to that first verse where Peter actually tells us what to add to the basis of our faith add these good character traits because they'll build us up. Just work on those in your marriage. So often when we read, I think when we read commands like that, this is, again, my story, is to read those sort of verses and you think in terms of a church context. So you think of what it's like when you get together on a Sunday morning or you think of what it, when you go to a small group or a prayer meeting or a connect group or, you know, you, you think about, you know, the way we, we interact because we're believers but in actual fact, the Bible doesn't make that distinction. It's all, all the time. So really, I, this is how I understand it. My discipling process happens more in my home than it will in any other environment. That's how I see it. Because I'm with my family more than anyone else. It's just, it's just pure mathematics. I'm with them more than I am at work certainly at church, um, certainly when I'm visiting my friends or my family, I'm with Sue most of the time. And so these commands of what we should become like, actually, home is the first place we should be putting them into practice and building and constructing a good character within ourselves and a covenant culture within how we interact or treat our spouse. And so it's not, I don't have to give you a long list. You'll know, the Holy Spirit will prompt you with some things. Don't you love it when he does that? Because he loves us so much, he wants us to be changed and transformed. 
So let me bring, bring this to, to a close. The last verse I'm going to show you is 1 Peter 3. And this is, again, another one of those ones, scriptures I read. This, <laughs> I, I'm being vulnerable, open, honest here. I'm not exaggerating. This one really pierced me. This one hurt when I read this. I think most people either don't read it or don't, they sort of just brush over it or don't really think about it. But 1 Peter 3 says the same goes for husbands. He'd already been talking about how wives should interact with their husbands. Now he, Peter's directing it to the husbands. He says, be good husbands to your wives. Now listen to these words, men. Honour them, delight in them. As women lack some of your advantages. In the, in the more traditional older translations, they say they're weaker. And of course, when Peter wrote that, Women were weaker. They didn't have any legal rights. They had no recognition. They, couldn't, they got no inheritance. They weren't educated. They didn't count in the way society worked back then. Physically weaker. I mean, it's not about... when Sometimes I think when people read that in the modern world, they think that's God's hierarchy. It's got nothing to do with structure or hierarchy. It's got to do... In fact, some translations, the Greek word means there's, there's a fragility or a preciousness to a woman. That a man doesn't have that's sort of the full picture of that word but here the way um, the message puts it it says she doesn't have this, all the advantages that you have but in the new life of God's grace you're equals so this is what I wrote down when I when I was meditating because again I digested these verses I reread them reread them I was praying over them I was asking God to change me from the inside out I wrote down weaker but equal that's, that, that's actually the principle there. My wife, in our world, in our society, in our culture, is weaker than me, but equal to me. In God's kingdom, she's equal. And so this next phrase is the one that really got me, the last sentence. Treat them as equals so your prayers don't run aground. We know I read that. This is the thought that ran through my head. I've got a crazy dark sense of humour, right? So this is what ran through my head. My life, I had enough trouble. I didn't need God working against me. That's the thing that ran through my head. I don't need Him to ignore my prayers. I actually need His help. I'm in enough trouble here. So if I mistreat Sue, my prayers run aground or if you're used to traditional translation it says your prayers get hindered the word that Peter uses there is actually a word where it's like a word picture where if you knew that an enemy was coming into your town in the ancient world they'd actually go out onto the roadway that was used to get into town and they'd hack the road up with all their little tools and they'd hack it up so you know horses and chariots couldn't actually just ride through that's the word. So when, when the original readers read Peter's instructions here, that's what they see. If I mistreat my spouse, I'm hacking up my pathway to get to God. God can't get, he goes deaf. That's the, that's, again, that's the phrase that came into my head. Because Now this is, this is what I realise, not that God's against me, but if I'm not building my own character and if I'm not building a covenant culture, then I'm not living according to the way God's already asked me to live. And God's always on the side of the weaker person. I mean, biblically, we know that. Think about that for a minute. I mean, how many stories are there where God's on the side of the widow, God's on the side of the orphan, 
God's on the side of the poor. God's always taking the side of the person who doesn't have the power and the authority that other people who abuse them have. As the same for guys, it's the same in our marriage relationship. If we mistreat our spouse, then God's on her side. And so this, the way you, you circumvent that, you've got to treat her as an equal. Because she is. According to God's plan and purpose, it takes the same grace, the same Jesus to save all of us. It's not, not a structural thing. It's about what we're trying to do in building a covenant culture because that we represent Him. We don't just represent Him by coming to church and raising our hands, hearing someone like me unpack some Bible verses. We represent Him in how we treat each other when the door's shut and no one else can see or hear us. But He, he sees and hears. He knows. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to pray for anyone who's married here. So you don't have to come out. Why don't you just stand? If you are married, stand if you've got your spouse here, obviously stand next to each other. Now, I know some people, your spouse doesn't come to church. I want you to stand as well. So we're just going to pray a blessing over every marriage because it's God's plan for us to be transformed in the way we interact in the privacy of our own relationship and homes, the way we treat one another, that we actually have the character that God's building in us and we're cooperating with that. And we have a covenant culture that brings life through self-sacrifice for the other person. Now, if you can, just hold their hand. Let's pray. Father, Your Word is alive. It, it breathes life. Your Spirit picks it up and it deposit, illuminates truth into our individual circumstances. Every relationship here is different, unique, and yet, Lord, these key principles of building our own characters, building a, a culture that breathes life, a covenant one, where we lay down ourselves for each other. Lord, I pray, Father, that whatever the circumstances of, the, of each couple, that that is actually what is breathed in this week. And Lord, that we would actually represent you in the way we speak to our spouse, the way we treat them, the way we think about them, Lord, we know we mess up from time to time. We say and do the wrong thing. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to lay down our pride, our stupidity, and that your Holy Spirit would encourage us, would rebuke us, would strengthen us. And Lord, that we would be a beacon of light for good marriages that last a lifetime in celebrating your incredible mercy and love in our lives. And Lord, that the next generation our children would represent and, and just flow on from that, Lord, that we could, even from different backgrounds or, or troubled childhoods, that we could reset and build an incredible example for our children and for the next generations that come after them. And I pray this in Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you have a seat? Well, I hope you've taken that to heart. If, if, you're, if you are not married, when I close the service, now we're going to switch to do that little offering. But when we close the service, I'm going to stay at the front. And in fact, we really love playing, praying over people who are single, separated, divorced. And the way, the way that I work, I just pray and say, God, is there anything that you want to say to this person? So I don't come with any preconceived ideas. And often the Lord will give me a, a word or a picture or something to, to pray in 
with you personally. So if you're not married at the moment and you'd like some prayer, I'm going to stay down the front after the service and we'll do that. So I invite you to please come up. No shame. We don't know all your stories. It's really just what God wants to sow into your life today. All right? So can you prepare to give towards Nick's um, gift for next week? Because we, we're actually going to give him, present him a gift. Um, he's our senior pastor. Again, he's at Box Hill today. Um, if you haven't come prepared, that's okay. Now, there are giving envelopes on the back of the chairs. So if you actually want to give by credit card, you can do that. If you want to give online, so some people give through the website. In fact, I think quite a few people do that. You know, the BSB's on there. If you want to do that sometime this week, you can do that as well. Just put in there Pastor Nick's gift or something like that. Just put Nick's gift. Nick's gift, that rhymes, doesn't it? Just so we know. And we're actually going to give him... Um, that gift next week but we will take up an offering again next week as well so um, it, we, look I could tell you you'll hear stories next week you know Nick oversaw the, the building of this facility and he didn't have to do that but you know he really he saved hundreds of thousands of dollars by actually taking responsibility to work with the uh, Corplex who built the building. And I could tell you other stories of how much sacrifice that Nick has done and really how he's done it out of a generosity. You've never heard him complain about a thing, have you? He's just, he's got such a big heart. So we just want to be generous um, towards him as well. Now, I know last, I think it was last week, we took up an offering for the drought relief. Was that last week or the week before? Week before? Did they report back how much was given? I wasn't here. Not yet. So let me tell you, because, you know, you, you, we are a very generous church. And um, between Victory Church in Bendigo and Uni Hill Church here in Bandura, um, we contributed $5,500 to the drought relief. And what's going to happen there is specifically there is going to be, um, we have a Wangaratta campus that, that's like a church plant from the Bendigo one. The pastor there, Bruce, and he's going to take a team up to northern New South Wales to a town there. And that they, that's where they've been affected by the drought. They're going to give out gift packs. They're putting on a dinner. So all that money plus other money that's been raised, not just from that offering, they're actually going up there. Um, there's a church there where the, the lady pastor has been working with the farmers in the community affected by the drought. And um, she's actually sort of organising and facilitating the whole event. And that's actually going to happen in the next uh, few weeks. I'm trying to see if I've got the date here. I haven't got the date. But the name of the church um, is uh, Hope Church. And I can't even pronounce the word. I wish I had it up on the screen. But it's Condobolin. Is that right? Condobolin. That's what I said. It's between Wang. If you, if you don't know where it is, between Wangaratta and Dubbo. So it's like outback New South Wales, right? So that's where that money is going. So appreciate for that, for all the people that contributed towards that. And I'm sure we'll hear about what happened once they do it um, later this month. Why don't we pray? And then uh, if you haven't passed the containers, you can do that right now. And I'm going to close the service. We, we won't sing or anything like that. Father God, we just thank you for our time together to worship you, to recenter our lives into your word and to your will. And Lord, as we give towards Nick, Lord, we just pray a blessing on his next season in life. Is he going to relocate back to Adelaide with his family and his friends? And Lord, for Meredith as well, we just pray, Father God, for your incredible anointing to continue our relationship with him that will keep 
uh, going on, Lord. We just pray that for more wisdom. We pray, Father God, for fruitfulness for his life and for Meredith's life. And Lord, for the future of our church as Charles takes on the role of leading us. Lord, may you bless him as well. Lord, we thank you for next week and the celebration that we'll have. But we always remember, God, every good gift comes from you. And Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Grab yourself a coffee. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. So good to me.